This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. It is so good to see you here today. I'm excited to be with you, and I want to jump right into things this morning. So I want to ask you to go ahead and take out a Bible, and I want you to turn, I want you to, turn to the, most, the, the most famous verse in all of the Bible. In fact, I'm a little hesitant to give it to you because I think when I tell you where to turn, some of you are going to be like, nah, I got that one. I know that one. But I'm going to give it to you anyways. The verse today is John, you got it, 316. You can go ahead and find your way there. There are Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you as well as uh, you can use your favorite Bible app. It's kind of the one time when using your phone is allowed in church. You can go ahead and find your way there. I also want to take a moment before I begin the message and just uh, add a special welcome and say hello. I know uh, just over the summer there have been so many new people visiting here with us at Bridgeway. And uh, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Ron. I've uh, been a part of the church for a long, long time. And just so honored, so grateful to be a part of this community. We are glad you're checking us out or checking us out online. And if that's you, I just want to let you know we've designed this church really for people who are on a journey, uh, on a journey of kind of getting to know God, going from maybe a spiritual appetite to, to filled up, fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's who we're about here at Bridgeway. But let's get into John 3.16. In fact, I just want to start by reading it this morning, and we'll go from there. These words say, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, just so I don't feel all alone up here this morning, this beautiful Sunday morning, actually, let's say this together. So say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I got to just say this morning, this verse, it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's the gospel. It's salvation. And I want to tell you that it's, it's pure gold. This is the verse that you should build your life around. And for the next several weeks, uh, myself and Justin, Pastor Justin, our uh, youth pastor, he and I are going to be kind of tag-teaming on this verse, camping out here, and really trying to kind of bring this to light. In fact, I think this is a really challenging task because John 3.16, it's been around for a long time. And in fact, it's, it's everywhere, right? I mean, uh, turn on the golf later this afternoon, you'll probably see it there. I actually had the Tour de France on this week, and, and in France, of all places, I saw a John 3.16 sign on the side of the road. In fact, it's been all over. John 3.16, well-traveled. I don't know if you realize this. It appeared in an episode of The Simpsons. It's been on Tim Tebow's face. Uh, let me just ask again, anyone ready for football? I think I said that last time I was up here, right? Like, pro football, college football, go Rockford Rams. Like, I'm just ready. I mean, even this, even this isn't that disappointing, right? I mean, the Bears over the Lions, but there you have it, Lions losing, John 3.16 winning, right? Between the goalposts, right? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And I hate to be kind of the one that bursts your bubble because I know some of you out there are saying, come on, pastor, is this, is this the best you got? You were off last week. This is, this is all you could come up with. I mean, I've heard this verse a million times, right? 
Maybe some of you are out there saying, I've, I've memorized this verse. I've underlined it. I love it. You love it. I know you do. But can I just be the pastor in your life that maybe kind of bursts your bubble this morning and says, I don't know if you know it as well as you think you do. In fact, as I study it, as I look at it, I just, I see this gap in my understanding, in the way I live my life, and in what this verse brings about. So I want to camp out here. In fact, when I read this verse, I think sometimes it's so familiar. It's sort of been, I don't know, tattooed into the Christian subculture. And I think because of that, it's kind of lost some of its impact. And I'll go on record to say, I think sometimes people like us, pastors like myself, we come to John 3.16 and, and we sort of make it harder for you to understand. Because I could probably fill a library with books and different things that have been written on John 3.16 and very often what happens is pastors like to kind of get into the theological debate of John 3.16. You know, they'll take an individual word like, for God so loved the world. Oh, let's figure out, let's break down, dissect the word world. What does that mean? Does that mean that, that God's, you know, into all of the cosmos and he loves people and he loves trees, so we should be tree huggers, right? You know, and kind of that line of thinking. Or, or is this really about like this limited atonement? Is this about predestination or election? Do I have like an eternal security in this verse? And while those topics may not be unimportant, I think they often become kind of an adventure in missing the point on what this verse teaches. So I want to do something that's, I think, kind of different. We'll see how you like it. I actually want to look at John 3.16, but I want to look at it by looking at other 3.16s in the Bible. I know they're just verses and chapters, but I want to look at the others. You know there's not just one 3.16. I mean, Genesis has a 3.16. Exodus has a 3.16. And while they're just numbers, I think I've seen some things in these other 316s that allow us to actually go deeper into what John is communicating here in 316. My hope is that this will be pure gold for you. We're going to pair John 316 with other 316s, and my hope is that it just builds you up in Christ. If that has you thoroughly confused this morning, trust your pastor. Trust your pastor this morning. And as you're holding your place in John 3.16, I want you to turn to the Old Testament. I want to look at Judges 3.16. See what I did there? John 3.16. We're going to be in Judges 3.16. It's uh, the seventh book of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Right there it is. And Judges is an underrated book in the Bible. In fact, I love reading through Judges. If you're the kind of person that likes gladiator movies, you like battle scenes... Judges is the book for you. It's, it's a crazy telling. And I can summarize the entire book for you with, with kind of a diagram. Because Judges reveals this pattern over and over and over again. This pattern that gets played out. And I believe this is the pattern of, of kind of the human heart left to its own devices. All throughout the book of Judges, you'll see that God's people, the Israelites, they fall into patterns of disobedience. Call it sin. Call it evil. Call it... Uh, morality, call it an apathetic view towards God. They fall in this pattern, and every time God hands them over to an enemy, and they are subjected to slavery, it, it's a bad life for them, hard times, and it reaches the point kind of, of pain 
in the Israelites that they begin to cry out to God. And never forget this, God is always faithful that when you cry out to him, he, he will bring to you a deliverer. And God does every single time. And over and over, and we're only in Judges chapter 3, but you need to know that the cycle has already been completed. One full rotation around that circle. The people were disobedient. They fell into the hands of the enemy. They cried out. God sent them just before what we're about to read. Sent them their very first judge, their deliverance, and a guy named Othniel. And Othniel comes on the scene, and the people then experience kind of this return to God, 40 years of peace and prosperity. Then we're going to read what we're going to read, and then after that, there's another cycle that goes through, and God sends another judge. His name is Shamgar. I guess if you're looking for baby names this morning, Othniel, Shamgar, there's some really, really good ones. And then after that, there's this scene where this woman drives a tent stake into a guy's head. I'm telling you, judges, entertaining reading, to say the least. But I want you to see this pattern of how God delivers and how God brings onto the scene deliverance. So let's start. We're going to get to Judges 3.16, but let's start in Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Here's the pattern. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Let me just pause there for a moment. You meet the first character in the story. He's the king, King Eglon. And this is the part of the story you may not like very much because you're seeing that diagram and now you're hearing these words and you're maybe asking, wait a minute, is God doing this or is a mighty evil power doing this? It seems like God is handing the people over because of their sin. You are correct. Kind of say um, oftentimes that, you know, around elections you'll hear people say uh, elections have consequences. Seems like every two years you hear that. And while that's true, that actually is rooted here in sin. Sin has consequences. And you may not like that, but this is God, and God does what God pleases. And so we see him kind of handing them over to this king. He's evil. He's in it for himself. He's kind of all about who he is. And now I want you to see how God kind of brings kind of the rest of the cycle. So picking back up, dropping down to verse 15. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with a tribute to King Eglon of Moab. Now, here you have it. Here's the cycle. They've sinned. They've fallen into enemy hands. They cry out. God does what God promises he'll always do. He sends a deliverer. And this person is named Ehud. Now, I'll ask you a couple times this morning, what's the distinguishing characteristic of Ehud? It's kind of one line. It's kind of one sentence. And it says that Ehud is a left-handed warrior. Everyone in that day would have read this like, like what? That doesn't make sense. Warriors were always right-handed. They had their sword on their left hip. They were right-handed in nature. The reader would be hearing this and saying, wait a minute. Warriors aren't left-handed. What's up? With Ehud. In fact, uh, let's just do this for a moment. Left-handed warrior. I don't know, by a show of hands, how many of you are, are left-handed? Go ahead, just raise them up. Oh, there's a lot of you in the room. Hey, did you know this, lefties? Did you know this about yourself? I was doing some research. Did you realize that left-handed people actually have a greater chance of being geniuses? You're like, yeah, I know. That's why I raise my hand, right? Like, 
IQ typically over 140. That's your potential. Um, I didn't know this, but left-handed people also have this strange, unique ability that they can see underwater better than right-handed people. I'm not sure how that benefits you lefties. I mean, playing hide-and-seek underwater, I'm not sure how, but um, get this. Tell me if you can recognize this. Uh, These presidents all have this in common. Gerald R. Ford, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama. You got it? All lefties. Some of you, if you played sports, um, you would know that in certain sporting events, left-handed people have an advantage. Uh, In baseball, the left-handed pitcher is statistically harder to hit. And in boxing or MMA, the the southpaw stance is actually, uh, it's more powerful. It's actually the element of surprise against a right-handed person. And I want you to kind of think about that because I think that's what Ehud is going for. This crazy, wild element of surprise. So before we read the element of surprise, let's just recap. You only have two characters to keep track of. You have the king, Eglon. He's evil. He's selfish. You'll see more of that in the next text. And now you have Ehud, this left-handed warrior. Let me finish up the story, picking back up. Here we are, finally, Judges 3.16. It says, now Ehud had made a double-edged sword, about a cubit long, which, is, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Then Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace. And he said, I have a message from God for you. As the king rose from his seat, Ehud Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. You may want to turn away on this next part. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said, he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. They waited to the point of embarrassment. But when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key, unlocked them. There they saw their Lord fallen to the floor, dead. Some of you are just so glad you came to church this morning, right? Like, this is some crazy, bizarre, gruesome, grotesque story in the Bible. Let me just ask you, and I'm going to ask you this a few times this morning as well. Why is this in your Bible? I mean, why is this here? Why does the Bible tell us that? And to think about it, uh, I told you Ehud had this distinguishing feature. He's left-handed. What's the distinguishing feature of the king. It says he's a very fat man. Now, don't get mad at me up here. I'm just, I'm just delivering the news for you, right? Like, I didn't write this stuff. I'm not body shaming in any way. I'm asking the question, why is this in your Bible? Why would this seemingly kind of like, couldn't we just leave this part out? Why so much detail? I don't know. I, I was thinking all this week about how This is just not nice. Like, this is the Bible not being nice to King Eglon, right? And and I don't know, maybe 
Maybe this kind of resonates with us, right? Because we, we tell stories like this. You, you may not think we do, but I'll give you one example. In fact, it's probably the galaxy's most notorious gangster, right? Uh, did, did you see Star Wars? All six movies, right? There's kind of one character that sort of exemplifies this. I couldn't get him out of my head all this week, right? There's kind of this job of the hut, right? And, and he's this ruler, and he's all powerful, and he kind of oppresses the people. I think he's got Princess Leia in chains at one point, and then in the end, he gets what's coming to him, right? And you read this story, you just think, how barbaric, how crazy it would make a great Hollywood scene. But when I read it, I actually think something a little bit differently. And you'll probably now know how my brain works, but I think this story is funny. I mean, is it not even just a little bit funny? I mean, this left-handed warrior, who would have saw that coming, right? And he straps a a sword on his right thigh, 18 inches is about what a cubit is. No one would have suspected Ehud, right? I mean, warriors were right-handed, sword on their left belt. Not Ehud, he's this ambidextrous guy, right? And he's, he's kind of conceal-carrying this knife underneath his cloak, and, and he's trained with it, kind of been built up in this way. And he brings a tribute to the king. I mean, this is crazy, right? He's probably giving the king some gold or some silver, I don't know, maybe maybe some pork chops, maybe Eglon would like that. And, oh, king, I got a message for you. And the king thinks, well, wait a minute, maybe it's a, maybe it's a special gift. Maybe it's like a, you know, package of bacon or something. And so everyone out, you know, leave me alone. I want this gift all to myself. And, and Ehud has him right where he wants him. Hey, king, come a little closer. I got a special message from God. And so the king gets up out of his seat. And before he knows it, he's got a sword into his belly. I mean, you read the text, right? I mean, it says the fat closes around it and his bowels came out. I looked at every word in the Greek language in this thinking, did the translators, like, did they take some liberty? In fact, they are being very nice. By bowels, it actually is translated dung. Seriously. I'm sorry this morning, right? Like, I am ruining lunch for some of you. I am so sorry. But, but this tells you, I mean, the Bible is a, it's a bloody book, right? I mean, this This is kind of humanity, maybe at its worst. But in a way, isn't it also kind of funny? I mean, in a dark sort of way. And I asked you, why is this in your Bible? You you think about it. I mean, stories like this, they would have been passed down uh, orally well before they were scribing and writing them down. And I got to tell you this morning, you hear this story once and you probably won't ever forget it, will you? You hear this story, and and I'll just say, this might be more memorable than John 3.16. It's funny. It's dark. In fact, I kind of have a term for this. I would call this salvation comedy. I mean, it's it's comedic, not in the way that lives are ruined, but it's it's in a way in which it reminds us of what, frankly, we're all capable of. I mean, if it's not comedy, if it's not salvation comedy, then I don't know what it is. In fact, you would have to try to explain the last part to me, right? I mean, the last part is the funniest. I mean, Ehud shivs this king, and he escapes, locks the door, and, and how else do you explain this last part? I mean, the servants are waiting outside, and, 
And they're like, boy, oh boy, king, you've been in there for a long time. He's in the bathroom, right? You know, like, can you imagine the conversation? They go to the door. Oh, it doesn't smell so good. I Spray when you're in there, king, right? I mean, there's all this going on. And I imagine, like, the younger ones are like, you check on the king. No, I don't want to check on the king. You check on the king. I mean, there's this comedy going on. And then finally, to the point of embarrassment, they open the door and they see their king, this big man, but this very little God. And he's dead before their very eyes. And I read this, and, and I think about this, and I just think how badly this reminds me of John 3.16. And so let's just do this this morning. Let's just kind of compare the two verses. Let's compare John 3.16 with Judges 3.16. You have the best that God offers, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You have that as an option, Or if you choose, you have Judges 3.16. Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. i got to tell you, friends, when, when I read this this morning, I'm reminded that there is a massive gap between what God does and what we do. What God does for us and what we do kind of to us to each other. God goes and he sends and he saves and he loves. And Ehud, while he's featured in Judges 3.16, he he offers a double-edged sword. He hides a sword underneath his cloak. And that's, that's all that he can do. When I read this together, I see how badly that I need John 3.16. That this gap is only closed because of God. So it raises all sorts of questions in my mind. I read John 3.16 and and I don't think, wow, cute verse. I hope I memorize it. Tattoo potential, right? I don't read it like that. I I think when I read it, it just raises these questions in me. First question, you may want to write this down and just kind of think about this throughout the week. But the question is this, is this our best? I, I mean, is this the best that we have to offer? Maybe another way to think about this story is, as I said, there were only two characters. Who do you identify with the story? I I mean, I hope not King Eglon, right? I mean, he seems to be very selfish, very, very much an oppressor of people. He's exploiting, he's ruling over. And so maybe the logical answer is, well, I, I have to identify then with Ehud. And I would push you if that was your answer, because while Ehud, I guess he's better in this story, is he really our best? I mean, is that the best we have to offer humanity? I mean, sure, he's, he's this valiant warrior, but he murders another man, premeditated, concealed carry. And aside from the physical side of this story, I would ask, is there any spiritual aspect to Ehud's life? Where do you see in the story Ehud saying, God, what do you want me to do to deliver these people? I mean, Ehud just says, okay, it's sword time. It's small sword on the right thigh. I'll make this happen. And there's missing this whole element of, of faith and following and seeking and hearing from God. I think when I read this story, I see that there's an opportunity, an opportunity in light of John 3.16 to say, God, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to be at our best because God was. 
and you read the story, and you want to place it in a barbaric time frame, but, but let me just be honest. I mean, are we not all capable of, uh, of swords and daggers and sharp words and bitterness towards others? I mean, aren't we all capable of a little bit of concealing and hiding and, and maybe keeping things from the people around us, maybe instead of confronting in love, maybe instead of inviting God into our conversations, we take matters into our own hands. And this just again reminds us we need John 3.16. I also think this story, as dark and as humorous as it is, I think it reminds us of a truth that I think is great hope in our day-to-day. And it's the truth that God will make a mockery of those who oppose him. God will. God will not be mocked forever. That those who oppose God and make fun of God and oppress God's people, that that won't be the final story. We just got done studying Revelation. And so we see where the story ends. We see how it ends. But this reminds us that God is not just sitting around idly, just waiting for that time. He's not just kind of sitting on his hands and saying, it'll be fine someday. I don't know. I read this story and Again, as I think of some of the questions it brings about in this mocking of King Eglon, you know, I think of how there's always a choice in life of, of maybe being humbled or letting that go to the point of being utterly humiliated. And I don't know about you, but I would much rather be humbled than pressed to the point of humiliation the way Eglon is. And so you read this story, and I, I do too. I'm sympathetic towards the king, and I'm thinking... I wish he'd had a warning. I wish we had a warning. And then I read the story, and I'm like, that's the warning. That God does what God pleases, and that God is leading this path of righteousness and sovereignty, and and we're given lots of opportunities to see the path, to follow his son Jesus. He will not be mocked forever. I was thinking of just this week, how last week, you know, just this this humility aspect, and, and I kept coming back to last Sunday. I hope you were here last Sunday. Uh, Susan Hoover was just such a blessing. I just uh, think so highly of her, and you probably don't know this, but she shared a little bit about her TV ministry and some of those things. I mean, I just got, like, two words for you, rock star. I mean, she is an absolute legend in Indonesia, and, and yet she has this humble, just very humble approach. And I'm reminded of how God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. I'm so grateful that Susan is, is connected to our church, that we've known her all these years. I remember when she went out on that mission field and, and to see her now just continuing to, to lead and, and do it so well and so humbly. It just, again, it gives me great pride as a church to support her. Last thought, last idea is, is the pattern of sin had to be broken. You read this story and you see this pattern that Judges plays out over and over again and the pattern had to be broken. Amen, right? I mean, God so loved the world. In fact, if you think about that pattern of sin, it really is, it's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting somehow a different result. And that's how it would be. We would be, I don't know where we would be in history. Judges chapter 1000, right? I mean, if if God hadn't decided to break this pattern of sin. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. Because you are God's prized possession. Scripture actually says that when God looks at you, he, he sees you through this lens where you're literally the apple of his eye. That he knows you're waking and you're lying down. 
He knows your thoughts and your fears. He knows the depths of every human heart. I think about that. I mean, I, I can't even find my car keys some days. And yet somehow God finds his way into the depth of every human heart, crying out, calling out to you to bring deliverance. That deliverance would come, and it would come perfect and sinless, and it would come in the name of Jesus. And it's all because of Jesus that this pattern of sin can be broken and that your life can be restored. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And my hope this week was just that we could have some time not to just hear a great story and, and maybe to laugh a little bit, but to actually have kind of a moment of truth with God and to maybe begin to see our life in light of this Grand Canyon, this difference between what God does. You are so loved this morning. And left on your own, you're honestly no better than Ehud. And the opportunity to say, I want this path, I want this way of following Jesus. I want to invite you as you just simply go to him now to maybe just spend some time. And, and we could call this confession, just coming before God, saying, God, I have this gap in my life. And I'm asking and calling and praying that you would fill that gap. Maybe some questions, just as your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, just to maybe think this morning, if God is a breaker of sin in my life, what pattern of sin in my life just needs to be broken? It keeps creeping in, but God, I'm asking you this morning to break it. Maybe another question just simply to think about in this time is, is how well do you love? How well do you love like Jesus loves? He so loves the world that he gives generously without you meriting or deserving it. And then simply just to think, is this my best? Or is Jesus the best that I can put my hope in? Father God, as we come before you now and as we just simply offer you our lives, our words, we also offer you all the things that we've done, the mistakes and the patterns that we fall into, Lord. We want to praise you and we want to celebrate you this morning because you do break that pattern. That pattern of sin was broken and shattered because of Jesus. And simply claiming and calling on and inviting Jesus into our lives, we can be made new again. We can be made whole and right with you. And so, God, I just simply want to make that our prayer this morning as a church and as a community to remind us, not just of John 3.16, but to remind us of all the ways that you call us to live into that reality. If you're here this morning and you just simply, maybe you're hearing this story about Jesus, you're hearing about his love for you and you say, you know, I, I don't know everything. I don't know probably as much as I should know, but I know I want that. I, I want to just lead you in a really simple prayer this morning. It's so simple because God stands there with his arms wide open, just inviting every single person to turn from their ways and to come and follow him. And so just simply pray in your hearts, Jesus, I give you my life. All of it, the, the messy parts, the parts that I'm really proud of, maybe too proud of, God, I give it all to you. And God, you say that when I give you my life, you promise to come and to dwell in me and to give me life. And God, we want to take these lives and we want to live lives that worship and honor you so that the world is made different because of us. We thank you and we praise you. And we're going to sing to you now with all of our hearts. And everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.